0: Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. I recently wrote an article for Newsweek in which I pleaded with Democrats to refocus. When we lost in our big effort to save American democracy in the Senate earlier in February, it was demoralizing. Losing those bills hurts. And I'm not saying that Democrats should by any means give up at the federal level. But earlier this month, when the Ohio Supreme Court threw out the Republican legislatures ludicrously gerrymandered congressional maps, there was a lesson in there. If Democrats can just pick their chins up and pause their outraged tweeting for just a moment, they'd see that that Ohio win didn't just fall out of the sky. It happened because there was a concerted effort. There was a plan. Democrats focused on overlooked, smaller, more local races that actually make a huge difference in power in that state and by the way, in every state in the union. Democrats may not be able to pass the kind of big sweeping federal laws that we want to comprehensively stop abuses of our elections or to fix many of the problems that we face in America. But that doesn't mean that we can't grit and grind our way to achieve many similar protections and advances in the states and at the local level. Look, we're Democrats, we tend to get focused on shiny objects or big, bold federal legislation. It's understandable. But 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 there is another pathway, maybe a more effective pathway, and I I'm not just kind of putting out a call in general here. I actually wanted to bring someone onto the show who did exactly what I'm preaching. She stood up and said, "You know what? I'm going to do something about this." And I want the rest of you to do something about it with me. Amanda Littman is the co-founder and co-executive director of Run for Something. She was, by the way, Hillary Clinton's email director, which is, I mean, I think becoming kind of increasingly hilarious as we enter the but her emails, but his emails moment coming with Donald Trump. But whatever. These were the good emails. These were the like, hey, let's let's do something positive together, America. She was Charlie Chris, Chris's digital director. She has a long background in politics. And at a certain point back in 2017, she said, you know what? We need to do something about this gap that's occurring between Democrats, big aspirations at the federal level and where decisions and power is actually wielded which is much more at the local level in America. So Paul and I are delighted to welcome Amanda Littman to Beyond Politics.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about my favorite topic, Uh, Run for Something.
0: (laughs) Well, we are are delighted to have you. And I promised before we went on the air that my little opening spiel would be shorter than Ezra Klein's opening spiel when you were a guest on his pod not long ago. I I think I stuck to that, but maybe not by much. Uh, Let me Get right to it. Give me the origin story that I teased a moment ago. What gap did you see that prompted you to start your organization?
1: So as you mentioned, I worked for Hillary for two years. Um, Election day was devastating. It was absolutely crushing. Um, About a week after election day, I got a Facebook message from somebody I went to college with. Hey, Amanda, I'm a public school teacher in Chicago. I'm thinking about running for office. Um, You've been working in this space for a while. What do I do? Who do I call? I didn't have an answer for them. Because at the time, if you were young, if you were newly excited about politics and you were gonna do more than vote and more than volunteer, there was nowhere you could go that would help you. And that to me felt like a symptom of some really big problems, not just in the democratic party, but in the democratic process. So I reached out to a whole bunch of people, one of whom became my co-founder, this guy named Ross Morales-Riquetto. We wrote a plan. We built a website, and then we launched Run for Something on Inauguration Day, thinking it would be really small. We would get maybe 100 people who wanted to run in the first year. This would be a cool hobby. Wouldn't it be fun? (laughs) Instead, we had 1,000 people sign up in the first week, and as of today, we're up to more than 100,000 young people all across the country who've raised their hands to say, I want to run for local office. Now what?
2: So Amanda, I you know, I come from a state which experienced a real uh, right wing spasm of local office running. Um, years ago, the so-called free Staters focused on coming to New Hampshire and taking over, uh, the politics of the state, which they've now succeeded in doing. They now control the legislature, the Senate. they control the executive council. it's a it's a right wing uh, spasm of regressive politics. But Wait, it Paul, started... tell,
0: tell our national listeners who the free Staters are. I mean, this is this is like, yeah, this is so, like the original separatist movement in America. That's right.
2: it's it, it it started with, of course, one person. It grew into a movement. and about twenty years ago, plus, uh, the will the free Staters, sort of extreme radical, right-wing um, self-professed libertarian but libertarian in the Trumpian sense of libertarians, decided to target New Hampshire, uh, which has always been a cantankerous eccentric political environment, uh, targeted New Hampshire as a place where hey, if we, quietly but in large numbers move to new hampshire and run for local offices we can start by taking over boards of selectmen and school boards and zoning boards and local politics people will get to know us and then because it's such a small state we can then run and become state representatives and and who knows maybe even president one day. So it it was, New Hampshire was was targeted for about running for local offices. And sadly, I can report, I think it's worked. Um, There are free state, libertarian, radical right wingers embedded uh, throughout the New Hampshire political system now. So the gap of, of getting sane people to run for local offices, uh, often in the face of now increasingly dysfunctional politics and threatening politics from the right is something that people are, are thankfully, and including because of your organization, uh, beginning to talk about more and more. Um, the, for a, a great example is the Ezra Klein piece um, and, and pod that you were quoted in, and we're having you on the air. But nationally, how big a problem does it remain that we can't seem to get good people to run for what are most often overlooked offices?
1: It is a big problem. I mean, I think we know that about 70% of local races go uncontested. That means that only one party's major, only one major party's candidate is on the ballot, which means that the person running, whether it's an incumbent um, or you know, the, the candidate themselves. Doesn't really have to compete. They don't have to campaign. They don't have to talk to voters. They don't have to make a decision on the issues. They can float their way in. We also know that more competitive elections yield to better outcomes. There's proof of this. There's political science studies that show that state legislators, in particular, when they're running and contested in contested and competitive races, do more when they're elected. They introduce more bills. They're more co-sponsors. They have more town halls. They stay in contact with voters more. All of this is really intuitive. You know, if you don't have to try to win, you're not going to. It is a massive problem that so many of these races go without any competition, in no small part because the decisions that they make really affect people's lives, you know, on everything from schools and curriculums to city councils, which do zoning around housing and business licenses, um, to state legislatures, which make decisions on everything from voting rights to criminal justice reform, to drug policy, to climate change issues within each state. Um, these positions really matter, and it matters that we have good people in them
0: don't want to belabor too much of the last point you made there because there's so much we could unpack we could we could easily do a whole episode about how much power that state legislatures wield that local boards wield that school boards wield and obviously school boards have been much in the news recently i would just commend to people we've done a series of interviews with david pepper the former chair of the ohio democratic party including in the Uh, episode in the article I just alluded to, he's written a whole book about this called Laboratories of Autocracy, about the insane amount of power that is concentrated at this level of government that we never think about, and we're particularly not prone to think about as Democrats. And he points out in in that episode, go back in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. If you haven't heard it yet, please listen to it, folks. Because one of the points he makes is that back in 2010, The Republican Party foresaw that a small investment, $30 million, would allow them to take over majorities in enough state legislatures to gerrymander the ever-living you-know-what out of state legislative and congressional districts and wield power for the next decade and beyond. We're still trying to dig out from under that gerrymandering. So point taken. That said, I wanted to ask you whether your focus or your sense of mission has changed beyond that kind of broad issue of, my gosh, there's so much power on all kinds of issues that affect our lives concentrated at the state and local level. But after January 6th, and in response to Steve Bannon's very successful push to get MAGA people to run for local offices, and particularly to take over the machinery of how we run elections in this country, have you refocused the efforts of your organization around countering that influx of insane people.
1: <laughs> so running for something has always exclusively focused on local elections. So city councils, school boards, library boards, state legislatures, um, coroners, American River flood control district trustees, um, the kinds of positions that most organizations don't. In most small markets, it's really hard. And there are half a million of them. So we have always worked on some of these local election administrator positions. Um, It's just part and parcel of the work. There's about 5,000 local elected officials um, who cover elections in some way, shape or form. And in order to lay the, the parameters here, it's worth noting this is really messy Um, In a state like Texas, election administration is done um, by a mix of officials, including county clerks, county executives, and in some states, the tax assessor controls uh, voter registration. In a place like Nevada, it depends on the size of the county, whether who is in charge of it. Um, In a place like Pennsylvania, you have town uh, election judges, which are elected on like the basically like the, the neighborhood or like see a couple of neighborhood type levels, and then you have uh, boroughs within some of the cities, and then you also have counties, and you also have city governments. Um, It's very messy. And that makes it really hard for national organizations to engage with. However, that is exactly what Run for Something is set up for. So one of the things we did after 2020 was take a look at our plans, take a look at the ecosystem, and and really evaluate after debriefing with the candidates we'd worked with that cycle, where were the races where we people needed the most help. And state legislative races, there's a lot out there for them. You know, there's a national committee that does state legislative races. The DLCC is amazing. There's a network of organizations that focus on these groups, you know, sister district, swing left, um, future now, forward majority, there's a whole bunch of them. But for our more local candidates, for the ones running for city council and county clerk, there was no one there for them. So after 2020, we really said, we're going to refocus our efforts locally. If in the past, about 60 to 70% of our candidates were state ledge and the remaining 30 to 40 were municipal, we're going to try and flip that moving forward. And then after 2021, we said, okay, the biggest points of, of problem areas for democracy and for the foundation of our citizenry is twofold. It's local election administrators, which Steve Bannon, as you rightfully said, is calling for QAnoners and conspiracy theorists and election deniers to run for, and school boards. So as we look to this year and beyond, we will obviously keep working on all these other races because they're all important. But as we think about prioritizing our staff time and our resources, we're really focusing on local election admins and school boards.
2: You know, I, I, when when I when I hear you speak about that, I, I I it bring it brings to mind my 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 own political career, if we can call it that. Yeah. Um, I I decided as a as as a, you, know, you know, I'm a I'd been a lawyer, I'd been a guitar player, I'd I'd done lots of things in my life, but I decided um, that if I was going to save the country. Uh, I needed to uh, run for Congress. Um nobody no nobody could stand up at the time that I ran against the Republican machine which had controlled New Hampshire forever. You know there'd been one Democratic congressman in 100 years in my district and I crazily decided okay I'll run for Congress. And if I don't get it the first time I'll run for the second. And what I found interesting was I didn't have a lot of help. I didn't have a lot of guidance there. There didn't seem to be any kind of playbook, even for an office like Congress. I mean, what I got from from the DCCC or the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee was come back when you've raised a million dollars and then maybe we'll give you some kind of help. But we were not not going to tell you how to do it or what to do um, in the meantime. So so the approach that run for something is taken is, is really important because you're dealing with the bench, in a way. You're dealing with all the future leaders of those shiny object races, like, like the one I decided to go for. But this isn't the first time that the Run for Something general approach has been tried, and it's not the only organization out there. We're thinking of the Blue Lab, Center for Progressive Leadership. Um, you've been remarkably successful in your efforts and tell us what do you think has set run for something apart? What, what has helped you grow so quickly and be so successful in this really challenging, challenging environment?
1: I think part of this was it was the right idea for the right time. Um, We certainly lucked out that we were able to launch on Trump's inauguration day at a moment when people were thinking about something um, positive <laughs> that they could engage in. And we were able to capitalize on that moment. Um, I think part of that is the technology, even a couple of years ago, wasn't there for organizations like this. Like it would have been really hard um, for a group like Run for Something to have existed even more than five or six years ago. Like so much of our work happens over Slack and Google Docs and Zoom conference calls and allows us to work at scale. But I also think we set out with a very clear um, scope of work young people, first time candidates for local office at scale. And we have not pivoted from that mission since day one. You know, we launched with a strategic plan that clearly articulated here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it, here's why, here's our operating sort of principles, Um, here's the political philosophy, here's the theory of change. We never tried to bullshit anyone. We didn't try to make it like something that it wasn't. We knew that we were trying to do wasn't for everyone. And there have certainly been a number of funders and partners over the years who have said, nah, not my thing. Um, But I think my co-founder and I were able to find the right moment, the right idea, the right time, and to be as clear-eyed as possible about what our lane was. You know, we don't try to be something we're not. that I think has gone a long way in helping us succeed because we don't try and tackle every problem. We try and tackle the problems that we feel like we can solve.
0: I wanna pick up on something you said a moment ago, which is not every big funder Mm -hmm. is interested in your mission. And it's something that actually comes through in the Ezra Klein piece, in the New York Times, and Mm -hmm. honestly, in our own experience. After the 2010 cycle, I perceived a gap. It was a slightly different gap, but referring to the experience that Paul spoke about a moment ago, he decided to run for Congress and he got this answer from the existing apparatus that's set up to help Democrats run at the congressional level. All right, come back and talk to us when you've raised a million dollars. Well, there's a catch 22 for you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they expect you to essentially prove yourself worthy of their help and then they will help you but how can you be effective and raise money and you know have the system throw you up as a as an effective candidate unless you get some starter help we actually approached a, a, a democratic funder a big democratic funder who i will not name sure. and we pitched the idea of you know there's a gap here between what the d triple c does and what's really needed out there at the congressional level. So many candidates we could contest. There are 435 house seats. We're not contesting a lot of them. We could contest a lot of them and really uh, not only uh, get some, some stronger candidates out there, we could really push the Republicans, make them defend the entire map if we could provide a little bit of startup aid to fledgling campaigns. And this particular funder was like, I'm not interested. What I would like to do is write more op-eds in the New York Times to influence federal policy. Would you guys be interested in doing that? And this is not to cast any aspersions on that enterprise. Like I said at the top, that's valuable. That's important. Advocacy is great. I'm all for it. But the mechanics of what we're talking about are so important. The gap persists, and you had the wit to perceive that, hey, it's not just the congressional level, it's actually more overlooked and more important at the state and local level. Because we like the big, shiny objects. We like the federal legislation. We like, you know, it it was almost like a joke during the last primary season when everyone was talking about big, bold, I'm air quoting here, like big, bold legislation. That's what we need. Well, that's not how change happens, folks. Change happens, it's like a pyramid with a big, broad, base of what happens at the state and local level so a moment ago i was setting up the fact that i myself and paul have had the experience of going to a big democratic donor and saying you know there's a gap we could really help start up campaigns much earlier in the process get better candidates run many better campaigns put a lot more pressure on republicans and ultimately win a lot more races we need an organization to do that and this funder said "Eh, eh, not so much but you're in this position, Amanda, all the time. Is it true that Democratic donors, by and large, do overlook smaller races? I mean, I've been quipping about this all show, but are they a little obsessed with the shiny objects nationally? And how do you overcome that? What's your pitch to them on why they should pay more attention to the kinds of races that you focus on?
1: Um, It is 100% true. And I think- I, the place I really want to be clear on is that you as a big donor or a small donor or whatever kind of donor you are should give to whatever you want it is your money <laughs> and your your goals. And the place where I get really frustrated is that I will have over the last five years, I've had, I don't know, a thousand fundraising meetings. I, that's probably undercutting it um, in which people will tell me I'm so nervous about whatever the issue is, LGBTQ rights, abortion, uh, the future of democracy, uh, climate change, you know, criminal justice reform, whatever it is. I'm so nervous about that. And I'm really focused on federal races. The only thing I care about is flipping the house. The only thing I care about is winning the Senate. The only thing I care about is winning the White House. And if your goal is to make a difference on some of these key issues, or your goal is to help elect women, or your goal is to diversify Um, government by helping bring more people of color into the space working at the federal level just isn't the clearest or most cost-efficient way to accomplish that goal it's it is not (laughs) it is not really understanding where power lives and I think that for me is the place where I get really frustrated if you say you care about building sustainable democratic power or even just sustainable sustainable pro-democracy power. You know, it doesn't even need to be Democrats, although I personally think it would be better if it was. It doesn't even need to be. If you care about building sustainable power for the values that we share, you have to do so where power happens, and power happens locally. And we are seeing this play out now. You know, there's a story in CNN this morning about how in every Republican controlled state, in places where the Republicans control state legislatures and the governorships, they are running rampant on anti-LGBT issues, on anti-abortion laws, on anti-voting rights laws, on book bans, on uh, school choice issues. They are absolutely tearing apart people's lives. And those are places where, because they're not traditionally presidential battlegrounds or even congressional or Senate battlegrounds, though some of them sometimes are. Democrats haven't invested because they're not flashy. They're not exciting. You don't get to go to a fun cocktail party. You don't get to like have a picture with a candidate you can put on your wall or show to your friends. That makes it really hard for us to fight back and people are struggling. You know, Just last week, I had a conversation about the work we're doing on local election administrators. And one of the funders asked me like, well, why are you working outside of the battlegrounds? Like, why did, I don't understand. Like the only things that matter are the states that will affect the 2024 presidential, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida. I was like, democracy exists in all 50 states and it matters that we have people advocating for it everywhere. It matters that in places where people live and where there are Democratic elected officials, including say the Democratic Senator from Montana and the Democratic governor in Kansas, that we help ensure those elections are fair and free and that in every possible race, those Democratic voters have at least someone to vote for, that they can make their voice heard.
0: You know, Paul is going to get in here with a a (laughs) question, but I just want to say that I am going to donate to run for something (laughs) after we finish this conversation, when my wife listens to this, I'm sorry. I know we tend to prefer charitable causes, not political contributions, but we're going to do this because I, you have convinced me. I was, I was pre-convinced. I was already in the tank for you. Let me just ask you a quick logistical question. If other yeah. people are inspired, how can they donate to run for something?
1: Runforsomething.net slash donate is where to go. Um, we have a broad network of ways you can get involved, including through our different entities. Um, we have a, a nonprofit partner as well through Run for Something Civics. But more broadly, we're looking to make sure that young people get involved. So runforsomething.net slash donate is where to start.
2: Yeah, what's, it, it, what's fascinating to me is hearing you talk in the context of Run for Something and the effort to get young people to run for uh, important critical local races. To, to, to put that in the context of the experience that um, Matt and I have had uh, in the past uh, dealing with major donors and trying to get them to shift their focus to to sort of the the, the, the base level, the, the foundational, Important matters when all they could see was the shiny object. The effort to convince donors of something that is less than the shiny diamond of of it, it is a real is a real challenge. Now you just pulled it off, and you convinced Robeson, and I'll tell you, you convinced me uh, that how important it is um, to to contribute um Have are, are how successful are you? I mean, are you able to turn turn donors around with the education that you do?
1: Um, Paul, I think for the last, I'm glad that you asked that because I think what we have learned over the last five years is that you have to meet people where they're at, and I'm really proud that Run for Something is building a diverse fundraising base. That we have more than thirty thousand individual donors who've given anywhere from five to uh, 500,000 or or more. Um, and that we're not trying to rely on any single one person because we know it's going to be really, really hard. Um, but what I'm trying to do every day, all the time is make sure that people understand these races are important. These races are especially important outside of the two months before election day. I think a, a piece that gets missed here, especially on the candidate recruitment side is that prime time for candidate recruitment is now You know, of the 27 states, for example, that this year are on the ballot for local election administrators, nearly half of them have their filing deadlines in March. So if you want to help us recruit candidates for these positions and make sure that wherever Steve Bannon's accolades are running, we have good opponents against them. You know, the best time to give, ideally it would have been six months ago, but the second best time to give is right now. Um, This is the prime time you can't wait for the scary polls or the, the viral video on Twitter to get engaged. You've got to give strategically and long-term and in a way that is sustained, even when it doesn't feel exciting.
0: Um, now, I know we've just been talking about the idea that we need to go everywhere. We, mm-hmm. we can't overlook not only these races, but all of these places, just because it may be in deep red territory. As a matter of fact, that's, that's one of the points about, for example, Texas. Well, it's not necessarily the case that Republicans are laser focused on, you know, the whatever county uh, uh, supervisor seat may oversee election administration in a certain county in Texas, but that for sure matters. So, totally agreed that the focus needs to be absolutely everywhere. And your focus is to encourage people to run everywhere. That said, some races and some offices can have an outsized and particular impact. You can just get more leverage. That's one of the lessons of the Ohio example was focusing on a particular Supreme Court seat that that was up. Are are there any particular races and places that you have a particular eye on this year where you could, if we could achieve a victory, it would have an out of proportion impact. And if you don't wanna say it on the air, because you don't want to give the game away to the Republican side. That's fine. You can, you can take the fifth. We'll talk about it off the air. I
1: think there's, a couple thousand races, which are worth focusing on this year. Um, it's part of what makes this really hard and why it's really important to invest in organizations that are doing this work at scale, like run for something. Um, that being said, I am particularly amped up about the Texas State Board of Education races. Um, these are positions that Republicans have invested in for decades. The Texas State Board of Edu- Education um, might seem like, why should people outside of Texas care? But uh, school textbooks are written in no small part for the Texas marketplace, because Texas is one of the states where the state gets to decide what textbooks are in classrooms, not by county or by city. So um, what the State Board of Education decides, it creates a whole, like a massive million plus marketplace for textbook writers. Um, And the State Board of Education has line item veto power. So they can decide what's in millions of textbooks. And what the publishers make for Texas, they then sell everywhere else. So when I think about the kind of race where it feels small, but has a big impact, Texas State Board of Education is a really good example.
2: Take us into the weeds a little bit. Um, How does it work? Uh, You get a call uh, from somebody who's thinking or wants some information, Um, what happens? What does the organization do? Do you have partners? Um, What do you provide? What what do you what what goes on that to help these candidates um, decide and then run?
1: So people sign up on our website runforwhat.net, and look up what office might be available for you in 2022. You then get invited to a conference call and we do these every week where we answer the basic questions that every first time candidate has. How do I run? What do I run for? How do I hire a campaign staff like what's next? Then you have a one-on-one with one of our volunteers where we talk about all of the basic questions you might have. We learn a little bit more about you. You learn a little bit more about us. Then you're admitted to the Run for Something pipeline. And every week you're going to get an email and maybe some text messages and maybe some calls um, that include things like resources on how to guide on how to get on the ballot. Um, materials and how to set up that campaign plan, trainings that we are doing as well as especially what our partners are doing. And we work with basically every democratic organization under the sun, um, from big national partners to state and local groups, all of which those partnerships look a little different, depending on what the group does and what our audience and what our candidates need. Um, But we try and build a really partnerful model. We don't want to be duplicative and we don't want to do anything that recreates the wheel. Once you're actually on the ballot, and we will help you do that, as well as connect you to experts across the country who will help you do that for free, um, you can apply for the Run for Something endorsement. That's another application. We wanna see your campaign plan, your budget, your win number, how you're gonna get from A to Z. What are we gonna find when we do a background check? (laughs) Um, There's not a lot that we will sort of like raise a red flag as long as you're honest about it. And we try and be really transparent here. Like you can have a lot of flaws, you can have a lot of skeletons in your closet, but they can't be hidden, if that makes sense. Um, we want you to be honest with us and with voters. Endorse candidates, um, get go through background checks, staff review, and local operative review. We have volunteers across the country who are experienced operatives in every state who help us do that. Um, we endorse about half the people who apply. Everyone we door- endorse is 40 years old or younger, running for a state or local office for the first or second time, and they're running strong grassroots-driven campaigns. Endorsed candidates have a one-on-one with our regional director in their place uh, that helps us learn, you know, where are they? What's, what problems are they facing? Maybe they need us to bump the state party to answer an email. Maybe they need an endorsement from another organization. Maybe they need press. Maybe they need uh, trading for their staff. Maybe they need help hiring staff at all. Whatever it is they need, we are there to help them. And every person we endorse, if they want it, gets matched with someone we've worked with in a previous cycle. Um, this is our alumni advisor program, and it's incredibly productive. Um, running for office, as you know, is really hard. <laughs> it's really lonely. You can't really complain to your volunteers or your staff or your partner or your family. So having someone who's been through this in a similar fashion um, can be a really helpful support system. So we'll connect the college student who ran in 2018 with the college student who ran in 2020, who will then mentor the college student running in 2022. Um, endorse candidates are who we help raise money for, who, who we recommend to other organizations to endorse, who we recommend to press, and, and who we track through to Election Day. So in the lifetime of the organization, we've endorsed more than 1,900 candidates, and through 2021 have helped elect 637 across 48 states, 55% women, 56% people of color, 23% LGBTQ+. It's
0: it's amazing. And I I just, I recently paul who sometimes kind of behind the scene behind the scenes advises candidates who are considering running for office it's actually a pretty good skill set of his he's been there before and he's run it at various levels and he referred a candidate over to me who shall remain nameless the number one thing that this candidate needed was a budget template mm-hmm. just a budget template now This is a congressional level, but it's the same thing at every level. Folks, I guarantee you that what you saw on Parks and Rec with city council races is not real. There are not consultants who come out of the woodwork for your city council race and say, hey, we help identify promising candidates. Leslie Nope, would you like to run for city council? We'll take care of everything. Doesn't happen until, I guess, run for something existed. And now there is some of that support framework. I just cannot emphasize enough. How important something like a budget template pre-populated with some example numbers can be for for a first-time candidate who has no idea how to do these things and and can just burn so much time and be so inefficient. Campaigns are frequently run on paper and one on spreadsheets Mm -hmm. by making smart decisions with your very, very limited resources. Okay, off my soapbox for a second. One of the things that you say prominently on your website is, and I'm quoting here, we are not, in, in all caps, we are not the purity police. A progressive in Louisiana is different than a progressive in California. We help candidates run for the places they're in. I love that. I love that so much because it it I think it really bothers me and a lot of other Democrats when we become the party of the purity police. But what does that mean? And why is that important in your mind for Democrats? Are we actually in danger of becoming the the purity police? And mm-hmm. how do you implement this? Like, are are there any parameters that are sort of like a, a, a line that that people can't cross?
1: You know, for Run for Something, it was really important to us from day one. And remember when we launched in 2017, there was a very hot sort of topic about like, what does it mean to be a Democrat? Are you a Bernie Democrat or a Hillary Democrat? And to be aligned on, you have to be aligned hundred percent or you're not aligned at all. You know, for us, we work in all 50 states on a range of offices. We just, we work on too many places and in too many races to have a clearly set defined list of policies that we need every candidate to have a position on. Like we can't and shouldn't ask a city council candidate in Kansas, what their stance is on Raising the minimum wage necessarily, although maybe that's not a good example, but on um, what their stance is on like a, a, a bill before Congress. We shouldn't ask a school board, school board candidate in Mississippi um, a similar kind of question. What we do ask is what your values are. We have a set of progressive values that we ask every candidate to abide by. They're basic progressive values pro choice, pro equality, pro tolerance, pro reducing gun violence, and um, improving gun safety. Um, uh, pro-tackling climate change, pro-working families. And we ask them, how do they show up in your campaign? Like, what does it mean to be a pro-equity school board candidate? What does it mean to be a pro-working family city council candidate? And how is this showing up locally? Not just what does it mean, what does it mean for you in this race, in this place? Um, tell us why. That allows us to ensure that everyone we're working with is aligned on the values and that what those look like in each place can have some nuance. You know, Joe Manchin and AOC are the same party. <laughs> and that means that we have to like, you know, as an illustrative of fact that to be a Democrat, because we're in so many places and so many races has a lot of different ways it can look like. And it is more important for us that ultimately we have electing people who share those core values and will make decisions driven by those values, knowing that the outcomes, especially in these local races, will look a little different.
0: And just to press the point uh, just a a tad further, if someone's considering supporting donating to run for something, they don't have to feel like, hey, this is um, I'm I'm." it's the same thing as donating to Bernie Sanders organization. You know, you're this is a bunch of wild eyed young progressives. You know, you could be someone, for example, who maybe is running for school board and, you know, doesn't want explicit teaching of, I don't know, just to choose a Fox News ginned up, uh, you know, like, you're you're not going to say we must teach critical race theory, but you're in favor of equality and fact-based, history-based teaching about the the legacy of slavery in America. That mm-hmm. would be totally fine. And so this is not a, if you consider yourself a moderate, need not apply type deal.
1: That's exactly right. And I think for us, You know, the candidates we work with, say, for the New York City Council in Brooklyn, yeah, are more progressive than maybe the city council candidates in Anchorage or the ones even in like rural Iowa. And that's okay because ultimately they're trying to do is progress, like advance our values for the place they're in. Um, And I think there is no better example of this than Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who specifically is is not as progressive as people think she is. And that's okay because what she is is a Democrat for Georgia. And that's good. And that's what we need because the alternative especially is so dangerous at this point. Um, So yes, a lot of the young people we work with are a little further left, but a lot, a lot, lot, lot are also pretty far to the center. Um, The thing they share is that they're for democracy and for the values that we hold really close.
2: So I, we probably have a few minutes left. Um, And in 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 as we as we close out, um, first I want to thank you for joining us and and thank you for the great work that you and Run for Something are doing. It's really important in in terms of just protecting the foundations of our democracy in this country right now in these perilous times with so much fractious politics that what you are doing is really. Um, for now and for the future, critically important. I'm wondering, is there a race or a particular leader or someone that you and your organization uh, worked with who stands out as emblematic of what run for something stands for, what it does, a particular success story you can share with us to close us out?
1: Oh, I could do this for hours, but I will point simply to Judge Lena Hidalgo in Harris County, Texas. Um, Lena, when she first decided to run for office, was 27, 28, an immigrant from Columbia who moved home to Houston after finishing up at Harvard Kennedy School because she wanted to do something more for the community she was from. Um, She got back and... Part of her degree was in um, emergency response, mostly in international relations. It was a big focus for her. Um, But when she looked at Harris County, which is the third biggest county in America, she realized one of the big problems was the way they'd been budgeting for flood relief, which is a big issue in Harris County, Texas, where Houston is. So Lena said, I'm gonna run for county executive, which in Harris County is the county judge, the judge of the commissioner's court. Um, she was running against a, I believe, 11 year Republican incumbent who Democrats hadn't really tried to take down before, and the party said, good luck, be well, We you know, wish you the best, but that's not for us. We're focused on other things. Run for something, along with our partners over at the arena, got really engaged with Lena's race, um, helped her hire staff, set up her campaign plan, um, helped her raise money. My co-founder is from Houston, so this in particular was very personal for him. Lena won in a grassroots victory against the incumbent and flipped the seat red to blue. She then has been leading Harris County. She's one of the most powerful women in Texas to do things like change the way they budget for flood relief and cash bail. Institute uh, changes to help end homelessness. She expanded voting in Harris County to make it easier for people to vote during the pandemic and helped open 24-hour voting centers. She helped appoint an amazing elections administrator in Harris County uh, who has been working around the clock to try and combat some of the voter suppression laws happening in the state. Um, Lena is remarkable. She can do anything she wants. And we're really, really excited to see her and hundreds of folks like her run and win and make people people's
0: lives better. I Perfect note to to end the show on. And first of all, a a woot-woot to the Harvard Kennedy School. Awful lot of my classmates there turned around and did the same thing and tried to make a difference in local races and organizations like yours. And that's really fantastic. Uh, Second of all, um, I I just want to put an amen on everything you've said in the last few minutes about, you know, there's no purity tests here. This is about being effective, having a set of core values that's ultimately about making people's lives better. That kind of change happens at the local level in these races that we tend to overlook. Amanda Littman, thank you so much for focusing on where change happens.
1: Thank you for having me.